In the name of the Lord of nations, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, my dear friends, gives me great pleasure to be with you today on some Independence Weekend worship. Not everybody's liking it this weekend, though. Right now, one of the hot topics is F-bomb the fourth. Um, modesty forbids me from saying the actual words. Some people are so angry with our country right now that they are publicly shaming the country and the concept of America's founding, trying to make you ashamed of being Americans. They're ashamed. They want you to be ashamed. And they want you to F-bomb the fourth with them. Have you heard any of that going around? Some people saying, not my Independence Day. Uh, two weeks ago, I celebrated Juneteenth Day with you. And I briefly alluded to Frederick Douglass's famous quotes that Independence Day was not my Independence Day. And those words are rolled out very frequently to heap scorn on the concept of the 4th of July. But I want to kind of celebrate our country with you today, not because of how perfect and righteous it is, but in spite of its many failings, and there are many, God is at work in doing great things for people and for his kingdom, and is pleased to use the United States with all its failings and warts as part of his overall effort. You know, in 1847, Mr. Douglas was on the lecture tour for abolition societies. Pretty much the center of gravity for the abolition movement was Massachusetts, Boston in particular. And it's believed that this particular speech happened in Boston and in 1847, it didn't look like abolition was getting anywhere. It seemed like the slaveholding interests were more dug in than ever. And there just was no budging, no, no political movement whatsoever. In 1850, history nerds know that the Fugitive Slave Law was passed and had to be agreed to. That meant that every northerner was obligated, if you came into contact with an escaping slave, you had to seize them and hold them until marshals from the South could come and drag them back into captivity. And the Northern people hated that. They were forced into it because that was the way they could keep slavery contained from spreading any farther West. But it seemed like a devil's compromise. There was huge tension in America, and Frederick Douglass was complaining about that, not just privately, but in one of his public speeches. And finally, also at that particular meeting was an escaped slave named Sojourner Truth. Some of you maybe know, have read up a little bit about Sojourner Truth. She's a big woman, six foot tall, and she had a voice like a foghorn. And she stood up and said, Frederick, stopped him in his tracks. And she said, is God dead? There was just this big hush in the room. And ever after, in fact, Douglas put that in his autobiography. And those words, is God dead, are chiseled on Sojourner Truth's tombstone. And so no matter what you may think, is the United States going to hell in a handbasket? Are you miserable about the state of our country right now? Does it drag your spirit down to see so much conflict? The politics are so bitter, aren't they? Well, what do you think? How do politicians get you moving the way they want you to move? What are the tools they use to get you enlisted in their cause? 
They're all negative tools, aren't they? No politician knows he or she is going to get anywhere, is going to get elected or raise any money by letting you realize how blessed and comfortable you are. You won't budge. You won't get out of your easy chair. So what do they have to do to mess with your head? First, they have to try to get you angry or afraid, try to make you afraid of something, or stir up as much resentment in your heart. Like, I'm getting cheated, and somebody else is ripping me off, and I need this woman or this man to stop the ripoff. But what does that do when you are bombarded with those messages ceaselessly over and over? And I have some bad news for you. There's an election coming in November. If you don't like it now, it's going to get worse. And then, of course, in 2024 will come another presidential election, and there will be a fever pitch of fear-mongering, anger stirring up, and resentment churning. You've got to have your head screwed on straight. How can you still love your country when somebody's trying to make you miserable constantly and is raising money to make as many people miserable and angry, resentment-filled, and afraid as possible. Here's how you do it. Look at it from God's point of view. I would like to invite you to look at the United States with all its brokenness and all its flaws. Yeah, I know, I know America is broken. We were part of the stain of slavery, sometimes called America's original sin, certainly its greatest sin. But I also want to celebrate with you that America started as a country based on a phenomenal idea. The United States of America did not begin in 1619, as the 1619 Project wants you to believe, when the first indentured servants or slaves began to come to this country. There was slavery everywhere in the world in the 1600s, and of course it would come here. It came everywhere else, came to every other country in the northern and southern hemisphere as well, in the new world, since it was all over the old world. Everybody was complicit in it. Even the Africans were complicit in it. The African tribes and kingdoms found out there was a great market in human beings. And by capturing and enslaving their own people, they found out that they could make a lot of money and buy weapons by selling them northwards towards the Arab and Ottoman, the Turkish empires. And then in the 1400s, the Portuguese began to make it profitable to go westward. And the Portuguese set up a string of trading posts all along the western coast of Africa. And each of those, especially what is now Angola, became massive slave markets. But the Portuguese didn't enslave African peoples. They bought people who had already been enslaved by other Africans. They just bought them and then hauled them to the new world to work in the the cane plantations. It's a terrible, terrible stain. But I want to celebrate with you that God used our country to plant a magnificent idea as the jewel in the founding document of our country. Even before we had a constitution, we had a declaration of independence. And what you and I are going to be invited to remember tomorrow is not the Continental Congress's decision to separate from England. 
That was done on July 2nd. In fact, President John Adams never liked this July 4th stuff. He always said, it's July 2nd when we separated from England. But on the 4th of July, there was a much more emotional thing that happened. The Continental Congress adopted Mr. Jefferson's document called a declaration, which stated in like floodlights pouring from it, or I I called it a jewel in that crown, that we believe that all people are created equal and equally should be given the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is a profoundly original idea that only these people managed to launch at the very highest level. It was a revolutionary, radical idea in an age when the monarchy thought to rule by divine right, when the only way that there could ever be a change of government is either by a dynasty, by inheritance, like you're born into royalty, so you inherit a crown, or by taking it by violence. And every nation had periodic eruptions of violence when there would be a change of dynasty, and the bloodletting would begin until a new strong man or sometimes a strong woman would take power. So either inheritance or violence. This was the first place where people were given a say and where the essential worth and dignity of everybody was given by the creator. So our fundamental rights as human beings comes from God, not from the edge of a sword or from your birth line. It's a a remarkable idea. The founders had to make a devil's compromise to get the squabbling 13 colonies together. And in order to get the 13 to hang together, they had to choose not to go to make an issue out of slavery, which was legal in all 13 colonies at that time. So what they did essentially was, we have to form a nation so we can fix the slavery thing. If only the northern colonies had formed the United States, slavery would have lasted much longer because the southern states would never have given it up voluntarily, or at least not for centuries. We might still have slavery today. So I'm glad in a way that that devil's compromise took place because it yoked the strongly slave-owning populations with the north where abolition was much stronger. And Frederick Douglass's view did prevail. And in time, slavery was abolished thanks to a a nasty war. But here's my point. It wasn't as people say today when they're saying F-bomb the fourth. What they didn't realize is that America set forth an ideal at that moment, knowing that the reality did not measure up to the ideal. Same as you and I have ideals of how to live our Christian life, even though you fail often. But that doesn't mean you've given up on the ideals. You know When you've messed up, you know why you need a savior. You know you need that washing and cleansing. But yet the ideal is there that we strive towards and we teach our children and our grandchildren those ideals. So America's great gift from God is to present an ideal of the universal worth and dignity of all people, equally endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. And it just has taken decades for America to grow up and live out the implications of that declaration. The war was fought. Decades of painfully hard work in civil rights had to go on. And America slowly, painfully, and painstakingly lurched 
towards greater equality among peoples and how they were treated. We're still not quite done yet with that work, but that, that means you today have a big part to play in this. America still needs reconciliation. And not just between people of different racial groups and different languages, but Satan still wants to use every difference between us as a wedge to drive us apart. And man, have you got work to do. Get into this game. This is what we need to rededicate ourselves to on this day. But you won't feel like doing it if you think, as the 1619 Project puts it, it's a big curriculum thing that the New York Times published, that America is irretrievably racist and all Americans are either oppressors or oppressed. Talk like that is just not helpful. You can't feel like being a reconciler if you're ashamed of your country, if you hate your country, or you say F-bomb the fourth. On the other hand, you will be inspired to invest of yourself to continue the unfinished business of living out our God-given identity. God had to have done this. And even the man who wrote it, Mr. Jefferson, who owned dozens and dozens of slaves on Monticello, still wrote and had accepted on July 4th, 1776, that all people are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So he set forth the ideal, even though he personally lacked the courage to live it out. Today, I'd like to read with you a spectacular and paradoxical, there I am with my paradoxes again, a plea. This is a variation on what Peter wrote. I'd like to turn your attention to Romans 13. Powerful words about Christians and their government. And I want you to think not only from God's point of view, but think also what it must have been like to be in the Roman Empire. Maybe you were a citizen, or if like many of the early Christians, you were not a citizen. Jews were mostly not Roman citizens. They had no civil rights whatsoever. They could be arrested at will. They could be deprived of their property at the whim of the governors or emperors. They could be imprisoned. They could be killed. They had no rights at all. They were merely tolerated like cattle on the edges. And yet, these strong words urging them to be the best possible citizens and inhabitants of their government at that time is so amazing. Think how much better you have it. Imagine you lived back then. How many countries at the time that Paul is writing, this is maybe, say, 55 or 60 AD, how many democracies existed in the world at that time? Zero. Nada. Nada one. They were all basically military dictatorships. The Romans tried to pretend that they had the illusion of a democracy. They had a Senate, but the Senate was rigged and it was all run by wealthy people. Uh, you could buy, you bought your way into office as you semi much can still do that today. They did not have a true democracy. The emperors were not elected and they had absolute power over life and death. But God has given to you and to me the wonderful privilege of living here. I hope always, but especially this weekend, your heart is filled with gratitude. Gratitude for your government. Don't get sucked into the negativity. But simply put the energy and talent and brain you have been given in service to continue to make our communities better. And don't give in to the 
the negativity that's all around us. And that it's called nihilism. Nihilism is from the Latin word nihil, which means nothing. It means you're not trying to build anything. You have no hope that anything is ever going to be any better. If we pass that idea onto the kids in our school that America is hopeless, then why should we look surprised when they steal cars and joyride them around town, traveling 90 miles an hour on residential streets? If you've been taught that America is worthless and hopeless, and they have this nihilistic point of view in their brains, why should we be surprised? If they're taught that we're just descended from animals, if Darwin is right, we're just basically monkeys, why should we be surprised when young people act like animals? If they're taught they're animals, they will simply live down to that low impression. I'd like to celebrate with you that our founding document says that all people are God's handiwork. People, incidentally, including the unborn, whom I rejoice with you today. Uh, some more of them are going to manage to be born, thanks to what happened this past week in the Supreme Court. I want you to ponder Romans 13 with me. This is the practical half of Romans. The first eight chapters are doctrinal. The second half, especially starting with verse 12, it is brilliant. Live as living sacrifices. Be willing to spend your energy of your body, of your time, of your talents in worshiping God, but also bringing benefit to the people of your community and country. You can't do that if you have such attitude about your country that you hate it and you're bad-mouthing it all the time. You will become a nihilist and you will become so depressed, you'll just become a wrecker of society, not a builder. The chapter ends with, I think, another one of these brilliant philosophical attitudes. I urge every man, woman, and child in this room today and also online, our online guests as well. Uh, look at verse 21, how the chapter ends. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't let it overwhelm you. That's a possibility. You could choose to let it overwhelm you, but don't. Keep hope alive. Look at God. Do the sojourner truth thing. Frederick, is God dead? The answer, of course, is no. Very much alive. Do not be overcome by evil. God's at work. Overcome evil with good. Let God use you as one of his agents to refuse to surrender to that bitterness and hopelessness of spirit. Now, here's what's going on behind the scenes. Everyone, verse chapter 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That's everybody, all y'all. For there is no authority except that which God has established. In other words, if you're defying and hating and resisting the government that you dislike, you essentially are fighting against God as well. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In case you didn't get it the first time, Paul says it again. So the authority of God is behind our government. And Martin Luther says, God built this in the Ten Commandments. When he talks about honor your father and your mother, these are talking about the re relationships of submission that all Christians have. It's not optional for us. It's not optional for you whether to honor your parents, nor is it optional for you to honor and respect your government. Even when it's doing things you don't like, you still owe it your basic cooperation and honor. Frankly, from God's point of view, 
All people are broken and they're all sinful. What does God have to work with? He's only got broken people to cobble together structures for. From God's point of view, even lame government is better than no government. Even an unjust government, as the Roman government certainly was, who were going to took the life of Christ our Savior, which God sweetened and made beautiful by turning that into the vehicle by which our sins have been forgiven now and forever. Took the life of St. Peter and Paul. Both of them died as martyrs in the 60s AD, probably under the Emperor Nero, who was such a violent pig when he decided to blame the Christians for the great fire in Rome. He had some of them rounded up, tied onto posts set in the ground, coated with tar, and set on fire as human torches. Because he could. He had that kind of absolute power. And you might think, I could never be part of any kind of structure like that. Peter and Paul both write to be absorbers of injustices. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, God said, Slave traders cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Bible does not teach slavery or condone it or encourage it. It is simply a universal reality that you have to work around and live with. In time, slavery uh, is disappearing from the earth. It's not gone completely by any means. Uh, And we still are working at it in our world today. But back in the day, the Christians were encouraged that you have to work around these things. We've got our one leg in heaven. Whatever you do on this earth, don't jeopardize your eternal inheritance. Governments are going to have injustices. Put up with it and endure it and overcome it and, and you make a difference. By and large, rulers... Verse 3, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. I don't know about you, but I am scared to death when people go around saying defund the police. I think we need better police. I think our police forces need increased training in how to handle people, for instance, who are mentally ill. I don't think every cop on the beat really fully understands how to handle somebody who's mentally ill and appears to be a threat. There's way too many people where overwhelming violence has been used on someone who was just having a mental episode. There have got to be ways uh, to, to, to help people like that. People need to know how to subdue someone without simply pulling a gun. Firing your service weapon has to be a last resort, not the first thing you go to. But having said that, defunding the police, we don't need less police. Please, dear Lord, uh, if anything, we just need better policing, not less policing. The Bible, unfortunately, presents to us the painful truth that people are rotten, corrupt, selfish, and violent, and that beast is just waiting to bust out. Rulers have the job of holding terror for those who are violently disruptive. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what's right, and he'll commend you. Now, this is coming from the one who himself is going to be arrested Uh, as a lawbreaker, even though he wasn't. But by and large, what he's writing is true. Christians, rather than being viewed as subversives, should be known as good citizens and community builders, and they'll be commended. The basic concept of being 
in government is you are now God's servant to do good for people, verse 4. But notice you are God's servant. God holds governments accountable for how they use their power. When you read the Old Testament prophets, you will see how God is watching how all the nations on earth were using the power and authority he was lending them, and God would step in, hold them accountable. The slaves who were Christians in pre-Civil War America would read the stories of liberation by the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, and they would long for that kind of liberation to come to them too. Uh, many of their songs, the spiritual songs that these slaves made up, were about freedom, the longing for the promised land for Canaan, uh, for crossing that river and getting out of their miserable existence. But they also took comfort from the fact that in time, God stopped the slavery and he rained down his judgment on Egypt for having enslaved his people. And God will hold all nations accountable. Uh, Russia is not going to get away with their brutal invasion of Ukraine. And in, in his time, God is going to see to it because they are servants. And when servants disobey their master, they too will get into trouble. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on a wrongdoer. The concept here is Christians are needed even in unjust governmental situations to be absorbers of injustice and to be reconcilers and builders of community because of our high view of the worth and value of people, even with whom we disagree. And one of the really sad things about our political situation today is people today not just disagree, but it sure sounds to me like they hate somebody. Like if you don't see things my way, not only are you an idiot, you're evil. Because nobody's listening anymore. Social media means you only have to listen to people just like you. It's called breathing your own exhaust. You only get one sort of ideas ricocheting around in your head. And so you can't imagine anybody else could not be thinking your noble, pure thoughts. And everybody else is not only an idiot, but, but evil, like a miniature, like a devil. It's necessary to submit, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, we know this is how God wants us to be. We're not called to be violent disruptors. We are called to be peacemakers. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. That's the third time now they're called servants. They're working for God, whether they know it or not, and he will hold governments accountable. They need to give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them, taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. Even our Lord Jesus said, whose picture is on this coin? Pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And I got to do a lot better at that. I grumble about taxation all the time, and I got to stop that. I should never personally do anything that would discourage people from being, to the extent possible, cooperative citizens who maybe can find things they disagree with and are aware of injustices, but by and large are blessed incredibly to be living in this country. I am, and so are you. So I solemnly pledge to you today, no more murmuring about taxes or revenue coming out of my lips. Respect. We live in a world where respect is shrinking away. Our politics is all about power. And as I said, negativity. Let's put some positivity back 
into public service. And when people have been elected, the decision is over. Now we give our respect and honor. Uh, we listen. We will try to be as cooperative as we can and try to follow where the majority is going. Uh, but man, if Christians can't do this, then we truly are sunk. So this Fourth uh, of July weekend, as you do stuff besides just having time off of work and having some watermelon and some burgers and brats and knocking down a perhaps blue ribbon or two, give some thought to how grateful you and I can be to live in this amazing country. This isn't a braggy moment to brag on the U.S. I think we are phenomenally blessed to live in this country. But if this congregation was located 2,000 miles south of us and we're in the middle of Mexico somewhere, I'd be saying the same thing to you then. I'd be urging all of you as Mexican citizens to be proud of your country, to choose to love your country instead of getting sucked into the negativity and to be an absorber of injustice to be a healer and reconciler, and to help be a community builder in any way you can, to be a listener before being a talker, to be someone who builds, not someone who tears down, and that you would never F-bomb Mexico. And I want to encourage you also to not let the negativity of the F-bomb the fourthers uh, steal your joy at being part of this amazing country. Happy 4th, happy Independence Day, my fellow Lutheran Christians. It's a privilege to live here. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.